The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to the special edition of Know the Score. I'm Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by K-Bads of the Hot Fire Starter Podcast. What's going on, K-Bads? Not much, bro. Just uh, trying to stay safe these uncertain times. So Definitely, definitely. Uh, with everything being canceled and this, which would have been the first weekend of March Madness, I decided to kind of put together a series of podcasts to kind of focus on some uh, particular teams. I want to look at the Georgetown Hoyas, probably the 93 North Carolina Tar Heels. I might sneak in another team or two just during what would be the time of March Madness. So we're going to start first off with the Georgetown Hoyas. This is going to be a few podcasts in a row. K-Bass is going to be generous with his time and kind of join me. What we're going to talk about first is the 1981-1982 Georgetown Hoya basketball team that featured a young freshman by the name of Patrick Ewing. Uh, but first, what I want to talk about with K-Bads is, since he is one of the biggest Georgetown fans I know, this was the team that kind of got everybody charged up and sent Georgetown on a, a four-year run where they were at the center of uh, everything that was going on in college basketball. So just talk about, you know, as a young fan growing up, following the Hoyas at this time, what you remember about, you know, just that era of Georgetown basketball. Um, I wasn't uh, old enough to really remember the 81-82 team. Um, the, really, the first memory I had of watching a uh, Georgetown basketball team really started during the, I want to say the 84-85 season. I really um, remember watching the 85 title game. Um, and then as I got older, um, I started to look back on a lot of um, the older Georgetown teams. I started doing my research. And, of course, uh, um, the shot that Michael Jordan made in the 82 title game was really the shot that put him um, on the uh, worldwide basketball map. That was really uh, the last game you can say that, you know, Michael Jordan was really like a mere mortal. Because really that shot, um, again, put him uh, – on the uh, worldwide basketball map, that was the you know the game winning shot in the national championship game, and then after that, his career um, went off from there. And uh, I just started doing just a lot of my research on a lot of those earlier Georgetown teams, and this is of course, um, like you said, was the team that really started this run of dominance that they had in the early '80s, and just realizing just how much talent there was on the team, and really in that. 82 championship game to how much talent was on the floor just in general. Right. Uh, okay. But like you said, this was the team that really started their uh, ascension in the uh, college basketball royalty. If I look back on that game and thinking about Jordan making that shot, there's nobody whose career has been tormented more than Patrick Ewan's by Michael Jordan from no, it, that it's not day forward on. Yeah, it's not even close. I mean, to making that shot and, of course, all the battles they had in the NBA, um, you know, I, I'm firmly in that camp that if Michael Jordan never exists, Patrick Ewan probably has three or four NBA title rings. But it's just, 
you know, it was just one of those things. I mean, he actually was able to team up with him um, later on on the Dream Team. And I know Patrick and uh, him have always said that that was, you know, one of the highlights of their careers because they always remain great friends. And just to be able to kind of, you know, uh, you know, represent America the way they did on that first um, super team. But other than that, yeah, it's just... <laughs> so we'll talk about the roster. Of course, uh, you talked about Patrick Ewing. He was a freshman on that 81-82 team. It was led by senior guard Sleepy Floyd. Uh, Michael Jackson was another freshman guard. Eric Smith was a senior forward. Anthony Jones, another guard. Mike Hancock, a senior forward. Gene Smith, a sophomore. Fred Brown, a sophomore guard. And Bill Martin, a freshman forward. Well, one thing, um, Mike Jackson didn't come to the uh, year after that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, the record was overall 30 and seven. They finished 11 and four in the big East. They were second in the league. Of course, they were coached by John Thompson. Uh, their points per game, there were 67.6 that ranked 136 out of 269 teams or 270 teams in the uh, NCAA. And then their points scored against were 53.5, which ranked fourth in the whole NCAA. So this was definitely a team predicated on defense. Um, they employed the diamond press, the, um, you know, zone trap. Uh, they actually would play multiple defenses on the same possession. They would maybe start out in the zone press, then drop back into the two, three zone. And then maybe halfway through the shot clock switch to a man to man. So um, very, very defensive oriented team with Patrick Ewan, um, intimidating people in the middle. Uh, just talk about the, the the culture of Georgetown built with the defense and just how they use that to intimidate people uh, really from the jump, um, not only with the press, but also with Patrick Ewan uh, playing the zone, uh, you know, just wrecking everybody's hopes and dreams when they came into the lane. Yeah. Um, throughout John Thompson's um, um, tenure as – coach at Georgetown, they were known for their defense. Year in and year out, um, you may not know what to expect from them on the offensive end. Um, I know growing up, one of the things we still always is that sometimes Georgetown's best offense was really just throwing the ball anywhere near the basket and then them, you know, getting the offensive rebound and you know, putting it back for a bucket. You know, right. sometimes it seemed like that was their best offense. But on defense, you know they're going to bring intensity because that's what Coach Thompson demanded. And like I said, they were very versatile um, defensively. Um, earlier, they showed the uh, replay of the 82 um, championship game um, on CBS. It was interrupted by the uh, uh, coronavirus task force press conference. But um, I was watching it, and a friend of mine texted me and said that, you know, he was just, you know, surprised to see how much Georgetown played zone in that game because, um, you know, as the years went on, Georgetown really became known as a real hard man-to-man team. But um, they were a very versatile defensive team back then. And another thing that was a hallmark of uh, John Thompson's early teams, and it kind of stayed his way throughout his uh, tenure as the coach, but it was really something that was constant year in and year out early um, was the fact that there were so many guys on the team from the Washington, D.C. area or just from D.C. itself, um, really D.C. public schools. And um, 
you know, you don't really see that a lot now because with the culture of high school basketball, kids just don't go to public schools anymore. They go to, you know, any handful of, you know, private schools, academies, you know, your Montverde's, your Oak Hills, um, locally, Dematis, your Gonzagas. But back then, kids still went to Roosevelt. They still went to Dunbar. They still went to McKinley Tech. I mean, even on this Georgetown team, you had um, Anthony Jones who went to Dunbar. You had Gene Smith who went to McKinley Tech. Bill Martin went to McKinley Tech. Um, I think uh, Mike Hancock went to Roosevelt and just even just kids just from the area, you know, Ed Spriggs went to uh, Northwestern. Um, so, uh, I think that just really bringing in kids that he could identify with because, you know, that's what John Thompson was. He was a kid from DC and just bringing in kids, you know, are going to be hard nosed kids that were going to scrap kids that are going to fight. I think, you know, those are the things that he wanted. He wanted guys who won't be tough as he calls them junkyard dogs. Even to this day, <laughs> he talks about, uh, you know, the team needing some junkyard dogs and, you know, needing some Bill Martins, needing some Gene Simpsons, needing guys like that. And, um, you know, I think that's just, you know, what the team was. They that they played hard and then just bringing in someone like Patrick Ewan, who was just as talented as he was, really was just the cherry on top. He was the final piece. Uh, that year, Sleepy Floyd led the team with 16.7 points per game. Patrick Ewan was second with 12 points per game. Of course, he was averaging a double-double and about five blocks a game as well. Um, the team was ranked number five in the preseason, but they lost two of its first three games to, Lucy, to Louisiana and Ohio State, and they fell to 20th in the polls. Uh, the Hoyas then won the next 11 games in a row, including a 30-point win over St. John's in the Big East opener. So they climbed to eighth in the polls after an 11-game winning streak heading into the first meeting of the season with Syracuse. The Hoyas lost that game to Syracuse 75-70, and it sent them on a three-game tailspin. They dropped their next two games to UConn and Providence, finding themselves unranked in the polls. Hoyas got back on track with a win over Villanova, which propelled them to six straight wins. During a four-game stretch during this win, the Hoyas averaged 94 points a game, which included 113 points in their win versus Seton Hall. So there you go, K-Bats. There's a time where they stepped it up and, and provided a lot of offense uh, for the fans under, under Coach Thompson. The Hoyas uh, proceeded to win three out of their last four games of the regular season, which included a win over number four, Missouri. The Hoyas were ranked eighth to end the regular season. The team stormed through the Big East Tournament, defeating Providence, St. John's, and Villanova to take a six-game winning streak into the NCAA Tournament. The Hoyas entered as a number one seed in the West Regional and began their march to New Orleans and Logan, Utah with a win over Wyoming. The Hoyas easily defeated Fresno State and Oregon State to advance to the Final Four, where they faced Louisville. The Hoyas advanced to the National Championship game via a 50-46 victory over Louisville. Eric Smith was the team's leading scorer in that game with 14 points. Uh, this was a very tough defensive game. I actually watched this game uh, last week. Man, the points were hard to come by in this one. Danny Crum and and Coach Thompson playing chess, both teams with the you know defensive pressing uh, type teams, lots of turnovers, and just, yeah, this was a rock fight of a basketball game. But Eric Smith, uh, out of nowhere, was the team's leading scorer, which, you know, tends to happen in these Final Four games, NCAA tournament games, where you get later in the tournament, you get an unsung hero uh, off the bench or somebody who, you know, has been kind of pedestrian leading up to then. So 
that led them to getting to the national championship game, like you talked about, where North Carolina, where they defeated Houston, uh, which is probably another team that we could probably get into real in depth with. Uh, Houston's got Lewis teams came up short. I think they made the final four three straight years. Uh, played in the championship game twice and didn't win it at all. Clyde Drexler, Hakeem Olajuwon. Uh, but the Hoyas lost the game 63-62, to as you said. Patrick Ewan had 23 points and 11 rebounds. Sleepy Floyd added 18 points and five steals. Uh, the player of the game for North Carolina was James Worthy. He had 28 points in the basketball game. Uh, what was very interesting about this game was uh, North Carolina's first Eight points were scored by goaltends by Patrick Ewan, and 12 out of the first 10 points resulted from goaltending from Patrick Ewan. If that probably doesn't happen in this basketball game, Georgetown probably defeats North Carolina kind of easily because North Carolina was struggling at the very beginning of this game to break the pressure and, and make shots. They were forcing North Carolina to shoot the ball from the outside with Jimmy Black and Doherty. And uh, it was working, but Patrick Ewan was rebounding the ball and giving him those easy points. And then he went out of the game, and then James Worthy went to work. And that was kind of where the game kind of got evened up. And then from there, it was a toe-to-toe battle. Yeah. um, The one thing about this game, like I'll never be mad at Pat for doing what he did at the beginning of the game. Um, I don't think uh, Coach Thompson – uh, would tell you that you know he was upset about what Pat was doing. He was kind of setting a tone for the game, like right. letting them know, like you're not gonna get anything in the paint today. Right, right. And um, you know, just as a Georgetown fan, this is one of those games you always look back at, um, and just think like, what if, like, what if Fred Brown doesn't just pass the ball to James Worthy? Right. Um, you know, um, I know we thought it was Eric Smith. Um, you know, I always felt bad uh, for Fred, and he eventually did get a championship two years later, but. You know, um, I, I still don't feel like the best team won that game. Um, I know if you look at North Carolina's roster, you know, for them to have James Worthy, of course, Michael Jordan, you know, Sam Perkins, you're going down the line. A very talented team, one of the best coaches of all time. But to this day, just looking back on it and how many times I've seen that game, I still don't feel like the best team won that game. Um, but just, you know, sometimes that just happens. You know, right. you just happen to be on the wrong end of a play like that. Um, but, you know, it's kind of is what it is. And, um, you know, it was the shot that always just again just you know vaulted Michael Jordan into um, into the uh, into the minds of basketball fans everywhere. So uh, that game has one of the nastiest dunks posterizations ever when James really takes off on Sleepy Floyd mm-hmm. and uh, on that fast break and, and Sleepy Floyd's trying to time it. Like, man, what are you doing? <laughs> right. Uh, but yes, man, Patrick Ewan was a monster in this game. Young Patrick Ewan, his knees were fresh. Man, he was getting up and down the court. He could really run and really jump. It was really, mm-hmm. you know, just going back and watching these guys as college players. You know, you know the careers they have as professionals, and that always stands out. But to go back and see them be young and have that extra spring and extra get up to their game. And the, you know, like you said, see Michael Jordan developing and see Patrick Ewing as, as raw as he was before he, you know, got really defined as a big man is just really refreshing. And also watching the game being played inside out uh, through Patrick Ewing and James Worthy for both teams. Um, it wasn't really a lot of outside shooting. The court didn't have the three point line. So it looks weird. <laughs> right. Just, you know, just basketball in a different day and time in the way it was played. Yeah. But, yep. um, as I was watching it here with my friend, he was like, man, those boys are disciplined. 
And I think what he meant was just the amount of passing and sharing of the basketball. It was the working to get the open shot, not too much one-on-one dribbling and trying to, you know, take over the game and create. It was more of a team structure from both teams. And I think that's where he kind of was like, man, there's a lot of discipline going on out there. Right. Between both teams. But, yes, if you've never seen this game, it's definitely a, a great um, exhibition of coaching between two good friends, John Thompson and Dean Smith. Um, you know, a lot of people have always wondered how that would work. <laughs> Those two guys being such great friends, just the size difference and, you know, the, where they come from, D.C. kid, Kansas guy. But they've always had – Dean Smith's always had a lot of great respect for John Thompson, and I think it's always gone both ways as well. So, um, like yeah, I, said, I actually had an opportunity to uh, sit down and speak with Coach Thompson a couple years ago uh, for about four hours um, okay. in his office. And um, th- this, the respect that he has for Dean Smith, like, it, it can't be overstated. Um, right. Just the admiration, um, you know, because Dean Smith did a lot for African-Americans in basketball. And, uh, you know, John Thompson's always known that. And, uh, yeah. Again, like, like I said, just the respect he has can't be overstated. Right, right, right. So, like like we, you know, just trying to touch on um, just the – this was the team that really created an identity for Georgetown and which also created an identity in the culture as far as which would later become, you know, black basketball fans throughout the 80s. Uh, they were fans of Michael Jordan and Georgetown when I grew up. Um, those were the two predominantly, you know, teams that – were the cool teams in the hood, you know what I'm saying? It was the Lakers in, in Georgetown. And, and you know, I think it was just that identifiable with, you know, the kids at the time, the defenders came out, and that really blew Georgetown up. Um, I think they might have been the first team to ever have, like, a team-wide shoe in college basketball. And, uh, and then, you know, Magic – you know, just doing what he was doing with the Lakers and putting them on the map. And, you know, it was kind of magic versus bird. So, you know, that kind of drew, you know, racial lines and things and saying as far as fans went. So it was just a really cool time to be a part of that as a young fan, just kind of getting immersed in like, oh, okay, Georgetown is, this is why people like Georgetown because look at the team and then juxtapose that with the school. It was like, hmm, <laughs> you know, it's a lot mm-hmm. of things going on there. A lot of people, identify through Georgetown through the basketball team would never <laughs> understand the yeah, cultural, right. you know, shakeup that, you know, that team presented to itself. Um, there's a lot of things that Patrick Ewing faced as a freshman uh, going through um, the Big East. Um, I know there's that famous game where um, he pulls the team off the floor in Syracuse because they're throwing stuff and yelling stuff and Patrick's going to shoot the free throw. Uh, can you just talk about, you know, the adjustment Patrick Ewing had to make coming from Jamaica um, in that freshman year and just all the racial stuff that he faced and, and you know, John Thompson being probably the perfect coach for him at that time? Yeah. Um, Pat fa- faced a lot of um, discrimination and racism um, simply because, you know, let's be honest, the way that he looked, he was very soft-spoken. Um, he, you know, he spoke with that, that you know, that Jamaican, what do they call it, Patois, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people just assumed that he was stupid. This is called it what it is. And, you know, Georgetown to be the type of academic institution that it was, people were really looking at Coach Thompson like he was 
you know, pretty much taking Georgetown's reputation as an academic institution as a joke by allowing Patrick Ewing to come into school. Um, and again, these are just assumptions that people made about Pat. Again, just by looking at him and the way that he spoke, they feel like he had no business at a school like Georgetown. Um, and, you know, people, I mean, through bananas, banana peels on the floor, um, Ewan is a like, chance like Ewan is a monkey, things like that. Um, you know, when he was at, at, up at Syracuse, somebody threw an orange at him on the free throw line. And, you know, Jim Beheim actually, you know, took the mic and told, you know, all the fans, like, you know, if y'all don't quit it, I'm going to pull my team off the floor and we're going to forfeit the game to Georgetown. And that kind of stopped all that stuff. But, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that Patrick faced at that time, and again, you know, Coach Thompson was very open about it, about a lot of the things that he faced, and a lot of things that his teams faced over the years, just because of, you know, people's just assumptions about him. You know, you know, John Thompson's not a small guy. You know, 6'10", 270 pounds. He was, for people who don't know, he played in the NBA uh, for the Celtics. He was Bill Russell's backup in Boston. Guy from, you know, D.C., take no shit. Um, and, you know, his teams kind of exemplified that, you know, they would, you know, take no prisons. They didn't make any apologies for the way that they played. And, you know, people knew the reputation that they had, like they were a black America's team. So they kind of took that with them everywhere they went. So, you know, you go to a lot of these gyms in the Northeast, you go to UConn, you go to Providence and, you know, their fans just didn't like it and they let it be known. So they were going to be, if there was an opportunity to be racist, they were going to be racist, but, you know, like you said, he played for the perfect coach in John Thompson because John was going to protect him, but he also wasn't going to baby him. You know, he kind of let him know, like, this is how the things are. These are the things that people are going to say. And you just got to, you know, you know, not so much just kind of brush it off, but just kind of face it and, and, and just take it out on the court. And that's what they did. Right. It was fuel, it was definitely fuel for the fire. No doubt about it. Right, right. Yeah, they uh, later we'll talk about uh, their classic battles with St. John's uh, that where there was a lot of scuffling and mixing it up uh, with those two teams. I can remember vividly watching a Saturday game as a kid with those two teams almost came to a big fight. Uh, so a lot of emotion in the Georgetown games because I think the other teams knew that they had to match that intensity or they were going to get blown out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they and I think teams kind of came in with a try to have a bigger chip than Georgetown did when they played them. But that that wasn't working. Right. So, um, you know, just like I said, just a little exercise just to give some people some something during this time where everything is on hiatus. And uh, since this would be March Madness time, I just thought that I would, uh, you know, try to put something together here for. Um, you know, go in depth on a really great team, one of the best teams to never win the championship. I know the NCAA tournament is littered with those type of teams, but this is definitely one of them. Um, just an outstanding team. Uh, like they started out a little rough, found their groove, and then once they hit their stride, they just moved through the tournaments. Um, if you look at their average victory margin in the NCAA tournament before the Final Four game, you'll just be like, wow, teams barely could score 50 points on them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anything you'd like to add, K-Bass, before we sign off, man? Nah, not at all. All right, man. So, this has been Special Edition Know the Score, Hoya Paranoia, Episode 1, 1981 through 1982, Georgetown Hoyas. And we will catch you on the next one.